The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. What do we have to keep in mind going into this May long? Well, we turn to a great friend of the show, microbiologist Jason Tetro. You know him as the germ guy, the author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files, and of course, host of the super awesome science show. Hey, my friend, how are you? I am great. I just made a hair appointment. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask you, start this off this afternoon. Where's where's your head at, besides being shaggy? Where where is it at, given what's going on? You know what? I'm really, really happy to see what has been going on. Uh, I mean, it's been going like that for about a month now. Um, And and for Edmonton, uh, you know, I'm in the Bonnie Dune area. And one of the things that's really interesting is that we haven't really seen much of any kind of activity whatsoever. And yet, people are still doing what has been asked of them. And that means that people understand. They get it. And I think right now we're going to be able to sort of move slowly, get some of those rewards, like haircuts. Uh, we'll, you know, maybe go out and have a little bite to eat instead of, you know, ordering in. And maybe, just maybe, we'll eventually get ourselves to that nice stage two by the middle of June. And, you know, we'll be on our way back to normal. Jason, what are your thoughts on this, um, on the regional approach that the province has decided to take, given the fact that um, you know, most of the province, except for Calgary and Brooks, um, are able to move forward? I mean, mm-hmm. Calgary and Brooks have to wait till May 25th to do things like going to a restaurant or get uh, their hair cut. Yeah. Um, your, your thoughts on that? Well, it was always going to head in that direction. Um, mm-hmm. What happened is we were taken so off guard with this virus that we kind of had to do just a national shutdown, right? Um, but the way that we would normally do this with, uh, you know, some kind of virus or infection that is rapidly contagious is to essentially do localized uh, monitoring. And then when something comes up uh, in an area, we shut it down or we do whatever is necessary to be able to bring it out. And the reason that I know this is that before we had the measles vaccine, that's how we would deal with measles. And believe it or not, um, in some other provinces where they don't do a lot of vaccination against measles, that's exactly what they do anyway. So we're just heading into that concept where we have something that's possibly circulating, might be with us for a very long time, um, could be seasonal, and is probably going to flare up in certain areas, but everybody else is going to be okay. Jason, you know, when you take a look back over the past 70 days, you know, from that first day that COVID-19 was reported in, in Alberta, if I remember correctly, it was May 5th or March 5th, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we shut things down, but it, it seems that we weren't prepared for what happened, well, definitely in, in long-term care facilities and the meat packing plants. What do we have to do moving forward on those fronts? Well, the big problem is that Whenever you have any kind of new virus that's coming into play, uh, and we saw this with uh, SARS, we saw this with 2009 with the pandemic influenza, um, you know that the most vulnerable populations are unfortunately going to be affected. Now, when it comes to long-term care facilities, it's, it's one of the places where you know if it gets in there, it's going to be a wildfire and it's going to be very, very troubling. And unfortunately, it's almost impossible to stop unless you lock down those places at day one. And it's almost impossible to do that, right? Now, in terms of places like the meatpacking plants, 
you also have to realize that if you happen to be in an environment where there's a lot of fluid essentially being thrown around, I've been in plants like that. Uh, the same thing with uh, you know egg processing facilities, uh, slaughterhouses, that type of thing. Um, there's a very good chance that you are going to have transmission, and so as a result of that, you know there should have been almost like um, intensive care facility. Uh, protocols put in as soon as the virus was seen into these facilities. But unfortunately, it was not. And as a result, it also became, much like a long-term care facility, a wildfire. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think how this is going to change workplaces and um, continuing care facilities moving forward is going to be dramatic. I, I think that there, um, there, there is going to be a lot of changes um, that will be permanent. Oh, how I'd love to and agree. Have to well, and I'd, have to be. And have to be. I'd love to agree with you, but that's exactly what we said in 2009, 2010. Yeah. And that's exactly what we said in 2003. Um, the problem is, is that we have short memories. And so while everything has changed completely, and we, you know, um, the only thing that we really have that we can hold on to um, is that we really destroyed the economy by doing what we did. And maybe that will be the lesson that we learn so that I'm proven wrong. But we tend to have this short memory whereby um, in four or five years, you know, uh, all, the, all the good that we've put into, you know, bumping up our surveillance, bumping up our ability to take care of these, getting the PPA stocks in stores, uh, they're just going to be seen as surplus by governments and all of a sudden cut. You know, Jason, uh, Sebastian just texted in and said, hey, you know what, can you, you know, maybe touch on this with him? Maybe we should have your thoughts on uh, whether or not, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020, when it came to locking down the borders quicker, when it came to self-isolating rules quicker for travelers, for anyone who was coming back in here at the start, if we had done that sooner, what would that have done? Well... In terms of the border closings, nothing. Uh, and the reason is is that you would target, right? So if you look back on social media around that, that February, we all wanted the borders, you know, all the people all screaming, close the border with China, close the border with China, close the border with China. Where did it come from? Italy. So you can't really do that. Um, now, in terms of getting into that mindset of isolation and lockdown, um, that was more uh, sort of, oh my goodness, we don't know what to do with this, and that's the best thing to do. But what I will tell you is this. Back in China, and we talked about this a little bit many, many months ago, there was a festival on January 18th. It was called the Wuhan Festival, and there was uh, 40,000 families that showed up. Now, they didn't stop that from happening. And even for someone like myself, talking with my friends and colleagues, we all thought that this definitely was not spreadable by human to human, otherwise they would never have had that festival. And so we all had this in our head that this was essentially a non-human to human transmission virus. And we were all wrong. And so essentially we all got played by the virus and that's one of the reasons why we had no choice but to do what we do. Could we have saved more lives if we had done it sooner? Probably. But who was going to do it? That's the big question. Would we have done it at that point? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, 
when you're watching the reopenings in other countries, let's say South Korea, let's say mm -hmm. Germany right now, what's it telling you? Um, so if I'm looking at, say, South Korea and China, I'm looking for any signs of that second wave. When I'm looking yeah. at a place like Germany, because they are still very much attached to countries that are having that are still essentially having problems, I want to see whether or not we're going to have flare-ups. And here in Canada, now that we have some provinces, uh, you know, coming back, whereas some other provinces are sort of holding back, I want to see if there's going to be any change in the dynamics. I hope not, because then we know that this virus is just like a common cold virus in terms of the way it spreads, and we can deal with it. Um, but if all of a sudden we start to see, you know, changes or mutations or different ways that this virus all of a sudden can do nasty things to us, you know, then we've underestimated it yet again. Um, you know, can, can you clarify, Ernest is freaking out a little bit here. He says, what do you mean it came from Italy? No, I mean, it originated in China, but when you talk about travelers, that's yeah. what you're touching on. Yeah, so when you start looking at where the virus came from um, when it came to Canada, okay, mm -hmm. um, we know that China was the first spot where the virus was, and then it started to spread. However, in the first couple of weeks that it started spreading after January 22nd when uh, that big lockdown happened in, in Wuhan, it spread to Iran, to Italy, um, to other countries um, in that uh, East Asian environment. And then it started to spread like wildfire. And a lot of the cases that we are seeing from a genetic perspective came from Europe that we're now seeing here in Canada, not from China. Because there was a huge, there was one actual mutation that eventually happened, and it created a completely different community of virus in Europe. So we can actually tell the difference between what came to Canada from Asia and what came to Canada from Europe. Jason, I have to tell you, if you were to take a look at my text line right now, um, you would probably chuckle and, and shake your head a little bit. And, um, you know, there's a lot of folks who believe that this is a man-made virus. Mm -hmm. We've touched on this before. You want to expand on, on that and, and the thoughts around that? Well, you know, when you get something that has taken us so off guard, uh, it's natural to believe that somebody's behind it. We have to blame somebody, right? And... Some people are going to take the natural route. Essentially, we're blaming bats. Some people are going to take the, you know, well, we shouldn't be doing blank and blank, like wet markets and stuff like that. They're going to go that route. And then others are going to essentially say that, well, did you know that there's a level four laboratory down the street from where this all happened? So they must have obviously done something. Um, in all of those cases, what you have to understand is when you look at the way that this virus um, has developed or evolved over time, it's been circulating in the animal population for decades, long before it came to humans. It was the same thing, by the way. Uh, you remember the pandemic virus, the, the flu? Uh, it came around in 1967, but it didn't actually come into humans until 2009. Um, so when you start thinking that people have, you know, somehow manipulated this virus, it's just not there in terms of the genetics. 
But more importantly, you know, back in the day when I would work in high-level laboratories, we would know what to look for for something that was man-made. And uh, I can tell you that, one, uh, there, there's no sense that this thing could have possibly been man-made because nobody would have even thought about it. But more importantly, there's a new mutation that has occurred recently um, that may actually make it even more contagious than it is now. And if that's the case, and it's a, it, it's a mutation that I would know of, um, and, and when I saw it, I'm like, oh, it finally happened. Well, why didn't they do that in the lab? All right, we're talking COVID-19 and taking your questions for uh, Michael or for um, microbiologist Jason Tetro. Jason, uh, Grandpa Michael wants to know about temperatures and the virus. He wants to know what temperatures might kill the virus. He's wondering if putting non-perishable groceries in the freezer would eliminate washing packaging. Oh, no. Uh, the thing is, is that when it comes to viruses, if you happen to freeze them, uh, you need to go all the way down past like minus 20 in order for that to be effective. Uh, otherwise, you're just not going to get the crystallized formation that will essentially break them up. Uh, we always talk about heat as being the best option. Uh, and, uh, you know, 65 degrees Celsius and above that is really what you want. Uh, Beth wants to know about um, this new this inflammatory disease that is showing up mm-hmm. in in children. Is it Kawasaki? Yeah, Kawasaki like disease. Yeah. Okay. Is it a mutation of COVID nineteen? That's what Beth wants to know. No. Um, you know how in measles we have uh, just regular infection, but then sometimes we have like one to three kids uh, out of every thousand who die. This is what's happening: is we have so many of these COVID infections that we're now seeing these uh, other types of what we call sequelae, and so this is something that is happening uh, in only a very small percentage of children, and it's unfortunate, but we are going to find out what the cause is so that we are going to be able to treat it. Okay, so what is what? What do you know about Kawasaki then? Well, it's um, an autoimmune reaction, and what's happened is that your body has created antibodies that actually attack your own blood vessels. Um, and uh, the the problem is that you know um, SARS-CoV-2, this virus, has the ability to uh, infect pretty much anything in our uh, vasculature. And so, if you create an antibody against that particular virus, and it just unfortunately happens to also mimic something that's in your blood cells, uh, not just the red blood cells, but just the actual um, cavities or uh, capillaries themselves, then you're going to end up with this type of problem. And uh, it may also be something that we may be seeing that looks like chill banes uh, that's called COVID toes. Uh, We're still learning about it, though. Okay, uh, we have just a couple of minutes left. I wanted to ask you about this one because I think this is an interesting, really interesting question. Um, Does Jason have a statistical model or guess of the number of future repeat virus outbreaks that the world can expect? No. And the reason is that at this point, we still don't know even if there's going to be a second wave. Um, We need to find out from looking to China and and, and to East Asia um, to find out whether or not that second wave is going to happen. When we do know that, then we're going to have a much better ability to assess what's going to happen from year to year to year. But we still need to see that second wave first. Okay, before we can do any kind of long-term projections. Exactly. Um, someone, okay, would the virus have been present in Europe late December 2019? It's a possibility. We're starting to now see uh, historical um, uh, samples being tested, and some of them are coming up positive. Now, they may be false positives, but could this virus have somehow been circulating under the radar? 
probably, especially considering, you know, 80 to 90 percent of people who get it don't actually have uh, anything more uh, severe than, you know, a common cold. Josh wants to know, um, is it even possible to make a vaccine for COVID? It's possible to make a vaccine. The problem is, is whether or not that vaccine is going to give us protection. Um, it's very difficult to do with certain types of viruses. Uh, coronavirus, unfortunately, happens to be one of them. Uh, there are a number of people who have believed that they've solved that puzzle. We're going to find out probably by late June, early July, uh, as to whether or not the, any of that is actually happening. And by September, for sure. All right. Another really good question just came in and says, um, wondering about um, recovered cases. Mm-hmm. He's wondering if it's truly a recovery and wondering if there's any or do we know of any long term side effects yet once you've had it? Well, not with this particular virus. But when we look at SARS uh, from 2003, we do see uh, long term effects that are happening, um, primarily in the lungs because there is damage. Um, and now there may be uh, increased risk for. Or, um, you know, heart disease from strokes, that type of thing, as a result of uh, what it, this is doing to your cardiovascular system. Um, you have to understand something. Um, when the virus gets into you, it gets into you by taking out a particular molecule that's incredibly important to your basic survival. And when you mess with that, you mess with the whole blood system, and that could have long-term consequences. Uh, Jason from Edmonton says if the virus is transmitted, um, he says more by touching surfaces than breathing air, then how is physical distancing by six feet actually going to work? I thought this was, and I think he's a little off on this one. It's it's more respiratory droplets, isn't it? But it can be uh, transmitted, it is very uh, transmissible through high-touch surfaces. Oh, yeah. I mean, high-touch surfaces, absolutely a big problem that we need to consider. Um, but what you want to be sure of is that um, when you come into uh, close contact with someone within that six feet, uh, one of the big issues that you have to realize is that um, even with that breathing that's going on, uh, there's going to be uh, some sharing of the virus, what we call it shedding. And uh, what you want to do is you want to be sure that those heavy droplets, the ones that have lots and lots and lots of virus in them, are not coming anywhere near you. And that's why we have that separation. And that's also why we want to have masks if we can't maintain that separation. Okay, I'm, I'm totally out of time, Jason, but I have to say, you know, overall, Alberta did a really good job at, 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 at flattening that curve. So that's, you know, a shout out to them, uh, to everyone on that. What do we need to remember going into the long weekend? We need to remember that it's going to be a really great weekend, and that's fine. But it's also going to be a really good test as to whether or not June 19th is going to be stage two. So mm. don't think about the fact that you got stage one. Think about the fact that you need to keep up what you're doing so that we can get to stage two. Because not only do I want that haircut, I want to actually be able to go out and have some fun after I've had the haircut. So do your part. Uh, everyone needs to do their part. Jason, always great to catch up with you. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Stay safe.